Uh, just the two of us tonight. It's Pete and Paul, or Paul and Pete. It's the Love Sport Podcast. John is enjoying some time away with his wonderful wife up north, exploring the reef and other areas. But uh, as we said, it's Love Sport Podcast, and it's just the two of us. Hey, hey, buddy. How are we? Good, mate. Super, Pete. Just you and I on the podcast tonight. Mate, scary times ahead between the two of us. Here we go. Here we go. Mate, I'll, I'll jump straight in for you. AFL Grand Final. 21-14, the Demons to uh, the Doggies, 10-6-66. One of those games, mate, I know I've just jumped straight in, but we're missing we're missing our compadre, John, tonight. He's uh, away on a deserved trip with his uh, beautiful wife, Louise. They're up north. Enjoying freedom, mate. Unfortunately, they are. Um, you know, they had they're having basically just as much freedom on their little adventure as pretty much Melbourne did through you know much of the middle of the park. Um, <laughs> like to be fair, it, it seemed like every time the Bulldogs looked like they might be you know scrapping something together, they just got scrambled on. And it, it's you know I, I have to give a Huge shout out to um, kind of one of the back backroom staff members, the high performance guy, Darren Burgess. Uh, yep. He's previously worked with Socceroos. He's previously worked with Arsenal in the Premier League. He's worked with some of the best teams in the world. And here he is with Melbourne where he gets the best out of this team to be able to perform on their biggest day. And at no point did any of those players actually look like they were kind of tired. Mate, a really good, really good summary there. And, and, and he is an absolute weapon, uh, as he's been called before. But it was just one of those grand finals where, honestly, yeah, partway through the third quarter, I thought, oh, the dogs get one more goal here. They could win this. I have never in my life ever seen a final that turned in 30-odd minutes the way this did. It, it basically, uh, it's basically a 15-goal turnaround in the space of 30-odd minutes. Yes. Never seen anything like it, mate. I, I honestly... I, oh, I, you can hear from me stuttering here, and I don't normally stutter when it comes to sport, but um, Fritsch kicking six, um, Petrarca, the most possessions ever in a grand final. People would have heard all of this time and time and time again. Commiserations and congratulations to the dogs because they really did, for two and a bit quarters, put up their best effort. But... Wow. I'm not sure there's any superlatives that we can even throw out there. Uh, uh, Another hoodoo broken, mate. So we had Sydney years ago break their hoodoo. We had the Dogs in 16 break their hoodoo. We had Richmond uh, in 2017 break their 37-year hoodoo. So it's been a half a decade of or, or a decade of teams giving their fans hope. And that's exactly what Melbourne offered in this game and it's exactly what they delivered as well. So a huge congratulations to them. And it was just a sensational, as you mentioned, sensational game to be able to watch. I think that the, the, the tide kind of could have shifted in that second quarter for me. I think that that was kind of the deciding moment, but as soon as we came into third quarter and fourth, that was, you know, that was done. It, it was momentum swung and it swung in such a big way. I would have loved 
to absolutely be in that change room to hear that halftime team talk, to just find out what it was that was being said that gave that huge boost of motivation to say, hey, when you get out there for your sec- uh, for basically your second half, you're going to score 33 goals and this is how you're going to do it. I, I just wish I could have heard that. I just can't believe the last, and there's good videos of it as well, mate, the last three or four minutes of the third quarter when they just kick goal after goal after goal. And I think they even kicked three goals in the last minute of the third quarter. I've honestly never seen anything like it in my life. Congratulations, as we said, to Melbourne. Uh, A really good atmosphere there, it looked like, um, for a largely neutral crowd. There was pockets of demons and, and doggy supporters there. Um, because it is actually a truly national competition because wherever you go, there are supporters um, from every club in large numbers, as you'd know, mate, even in Sydney. Well, look Um, at yourself, to be fair, mate. Like, you live up in Brizzy but support a Melbourne team. You've got Richmond uh, in the footy. You've got Storm in the the league. Then you've obviously got your Brisbane teams in the soccer as well. Uh, You're you're as multicultural in terms of how you support your teams just as much as the rest of us. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I, uh, I don't think there's too many people who put their money behind their teams. It is many varied teams as I do a member of the storm, member of Richmond, member of the raw member of the bullets. So I, uh, I, I maybe need to give some more money to the kids. <laughs> Oh, dear. oh, mate, look, we'll, we'll cut across. As we said, congratulations, Dees. Um, I, I don't think we need to cover it too much more because everyone else has done it. We'll be overkilling what everyone's already talked about. Um, mate, I do want to throw something. I'm going to jump a little bit all around tonight. That A-League symbol was a joke, right? It, it's a joke, and they're sitting back in the office and they're laughing because they let their four-year-old who's in lockdown design the new A-League symbol. <laughs> It's it's an incredibly interesting one, and I think if you look at the colour scheme, it is very similar colour-wise and font-wise to what we have over in the Premier League and the FAWSL. So it's definitely vibrant. It's eye-catching. And the fact that, you know, the symbol that has been produced, the the full stop and then the backward slash almost to, to facilitate the A for A-Leagues is is quite a brave and a bold step. I think that uh, it's a really interesting one, the fact that the A-Leagues has decided to do this. I think it's brilliant that we have, you know, one name, one banner, one unified approach to football. Mm-hmm. No longer do we have, you know, the the Y-League for the youth teams, the W-League for the women. It's instead, you know, A-League men's, A-League women's, A-League's youth. Uh, so, you know, there is that unified approach. But I can definitely understand uh, the the humour um, behind this logo and the fact that, you know, there's been already a few companies who have profited off uh, the, the branding and the, the look of this new logo. I think that um, one of the biggest success stories is the Adelaide Building uh, Society, I think it is, uh, off the top of my head, um, looking at... Uh, at their logo, um, it's sorry the A League, uh, sorry the Adelaide Building Consulting Company, whose logo is uh, quite similar to it. It is very um, similar. So you know, I think that they've just enjoyed the fact that they've had so much traction and so much uh, free advertising today. 
for their for their brand. But and I suppose me, you could say the same for the A League. I suppose you could say the same for the A League or the A League competitions. It's had more. It's it's the AFL Grand Finals just finished. The NRL Grand Final is in semi limbo whether it'll be played in Brisbane or or have to go further north to Townsville. Um, so in those weeks of grand finals, for the A-League to finally get in a conversation, whether it's good, bad, ugly, that's been a deliberate release, which is smart move, I think. At least it's got the discussion going, saying, hey, we're around the corner, guys. Yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, there's been... Um, I don't think that there has been a post on, like, the A-League's website or the A-League's Facebook pages that has got the traction that this has so you know from uh, from a branding perspective this is sensational because it's yeah. it's blowing up and the fact that you know so many people are, are taking the mickey out of the the design instantly i think that it's having a, a really interesting effect so i, I think you are really like I'll, I'll be honest with you, you're a kind, you're really one of the most decent <laughs> men I know. I, no, I mean that in in not putting you down. I mean you are one of the kindest, nicest people I know, and I try to be that way. I look at that symbol, and it's I understand what you're saying, and I hadn't thought about the A League youth, A League women's, A League's men. I think that's really good, but the symbol itself, mate. I'm sorry. If the if it's not the work experience boy or girl who's done it, or or a primary school who won it. I would really love to know how much money they wasted on it. I hope it was done in house using um, what, what word art or something, um, because if it was paid for outside, I think it's an absolute joke, mate. Sorry, I really, really hope it was done in house using word art. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think that it is a huge step. Uh, towards the the concept of that separation, that unbundling of the A-Leagues from Football Australia and the fact that there is now its own identity, its own branding. This is huge. This is positive. And, you know, hopefully it it raises conversation, raises some eyebrows. So hopefully, you know, it engages the conversation and whether you like it, you hate it, it, it's going to be on players' shirts this season. It's going to be on the shirts of, you know, People turn up to games and buy jerseys for their kids. It's it's going to be or, there. So, or, the, or the idiots like me who buy the home away an alternative jersey every year, uh, and yet my home jersey is always going to be a bright orange colour. The away jer- the alternative jersey is going to be a white that's going to make me look really fat. And uh, yeah, so mates, we'll keep jumping around. We're trying to keep this a nice succinct one. Um, the rugby league on the weekend, my my storm was beaten. They didn't play very smart football. Penrith put up a magnificent defensive effort and they're into uh, a grand final there. But the one thing I wanted to pick up on this, and we'll come to the idiots after the game. One thing I want to pick up on this, I hate when they say, oh, they got the, they got an, in, in any sport, oh, they got revenge for last year's grand final. Did they? Because I think the Storm still have their premiership medals from uh, 20, 2020. Yes, they I don't know do. About you. I, hate, I, I can't stand that. They got revenge. It's not revenge. You, you can't get revenge for what you've lost. It's a new season and it's a new opportunity for a new game of, you know, there's a lot of very similar players who played in both games, but it's, it's not revenge. Revenge would be playing straight after and saying, oh, whoever wins the, the next game actually wins the trophy. 
uh, or it's a best out of three series or, you know, like the basketball, best out of seven. You know, that would be revenge, not a game that is a year and a bit later in a completely different context between a, a grand final and a semi-final. Mate, um, it's a really good call there. Now, we always, you and I always muck around, and a lot of people do, about you'll always see the random South Sky. Now, this week we're guaranteed to see many random South Skies and girls wherever it's played because the Rabbitohs really demolished the Eagles. Um, now, I didn't think it was a surprise that the Rabbitohs got up, but just in the ease they dispatched, uh, dispatched Manly, I thought, was um, a really top effort for, by the Rabbitohs. Yeah, it was. And random South guy or random South girl is absolutely guaranteed to pop up uh, during this week, whether it be, uh, you know, down your local shops, whether it's a person who turns up wearing a rabbit eyes mask, whether it's someone who's just got a South flag that's uh, popped up in their, you know, front window. Uh, they're going to pop up. We know that. Um, but we also know that random South guy or random South fan is also going to hide their allegiance at times. They're a really yep. interesting they fan are base. Very interesting. I don't want to say the word bandwagon because I obviously have the uh, Rabbitohs at heart, but they're just one of those. You'll, you'll see someone that you didn't realise was a South fan wearing a South jersey. Now, I know it's a striking jersey and it's very different to any around the world, but it's it's yeah, it, it's something that beggars belief. I've, I've sent you photos of different sporting events where random South guys turned up, uh, all girl but it's mainly guys that I see. <laughs> it's an interesting uh, concept because, you know, if you go around and you say, oh, who do you support in the footy? Oh, I'm a Panthers fan. And, and you kind of get it because the fact that they've got a Panthers jacket or a jumper or yeah, a hat, yeah. they, like they're happy to be loud and proud about it. Likewise, with Storms fans, like you'd know if someone is a Storms fan. But South exactly. guys, they're, they're like your, they pop up out of nowhere from time to time and be like, oh, I'm a Celts fan. And you're like, no, no, are you really? I've never seen you wear a jersey or wear a hat before. But <laughs> oh, here you go. Um, yeah, they're a fickle bunch. But look, when they do turn up, they turn up big. And i tell you what, this this final for uh, Sunday night, it, it's shaping up to be a really interesting one. Rabbitohs, they're hitting some great form at the end of this season and they look – they look like the type of a team who could steamroll an opposition at any time. But then you've got the Panthers and their defensive efforts that we saw against yeah. Storm. And you go, you know, if someone's going to stop a steamroller, it's going to be the Panthers. Like, they're and the, the Panthers have – they did nullify the Rabbitohs early on in the season with really top-notch defence as well. Um, so, you know, uh, Walsh John's not here. In spirit, he's put a few tips in. He's tipped Penrith despite having Ivan Cleary as their coach, which I, I, I love how he always has a twist in there. Um, I don't want the Panthers to win. I want the Rabbitohs to win, but I think the Panthers' defensive structure bodes really well for a grand final. I don't want the Panthers to win, but I think they'll win. Interesting. Uh, I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if Panthers win, but my preference would actually be Rabbitohs here. Yeah, same here. I know. I actually think that uh, all three of us would probably say the uh, the preference would be for South. Now, it's either going to be played at Suncorp the way it's already scheduled, or it's going to be moved to Townsville because there's a mini outbreak. I don't want to say mini, but a mini outbreak, um, for lack of better terms, in the Brisbane metropolitan and now Gold Coast areas. Um, I'm just a bit surprised 
this is a major event that they're not making a decision. They're going to leave it almost to game day. So uh, just the, the way things are written or spoken about where, you know, the head of the NRL is saying he hasn't spoken to the Queensland government. The Queensland government is saying they haven't spoken to the head of the NRL. I just find it a load of crap. That There has to be stuff going on in the background because surely they're planning for the contingencies either way. They have think to so. be. They have yeah, to be. And, and, you know, Townsville to Brisbane, there's a bit of a difference between the two. And, you know, if you are it? going to, you know, allow for fans to be able to attend the final, you kind of need to let people know with some, you know, heads up. Oh, mate, look, either way, it's... It's the nature of, of, you know, current society with everything going with COVID that, you know, this just sums up everything that's happening, mate. So let's turn to, this, you know, the sport that we absolutely adore as well. And, and let's turn to the uh, English Premier League um, over the weekend. What a round. And we are seeing, we're seeing, title, we're seeing a real title chase this year. And some teams, you can see the nucleus of what they're trying to do. Um, going forward so we had let's have a look at the the games over the uh over the round mate we started off um with man or not started off but um man city beating chelsea and i thought they i thought they were really good value for a one nil win yeah they were and this was um the battle of the titans really and it wasn't just the players in the park i think that more attention was actually paid towards the sidelines between pap guardiola and thomas tuchel yeah. Um, their, their relationship in the in the coaching department stretches um, as far back as when Pep Guardiola was coaching in the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich and Tuchel was with um, Borussia Dortmund. So, you know, that relationship's been around for a little while and Tuchel has generically got the better of Pep Guardiola, that he, he's tactically got them stronger. But this game here, it was an interesting dynamic. City, they scrambled so hard. They played as if this was a cup final. And the determination from City to be able to score the goal from Gabriel Jesus in the 54th minute, that was a huge moment of the game. Um, the kind of It was interesting that the lack of urgency in a defensive action was uncharacteristic from Chelsea Mm, at Stamford Bridge as well. Like, that is huge to have happened at Stamford Bridge. But there you go, 1-0 win to City. And they look like they're getting themselves, you know, back on track for having a slower start to the season. And taking points, you know, I mean, in a title race, a draw away from home, is virtually a win. So to get the three points, uh, as you said, at Stamford Bridge is really, really huge. It still wouldn't write Chelsea off. I think, you know, they are the second best team in the competition to me. Um, But look, who knows? They could still win the title. Um, Early Saturday night, I I wanted to save this for dessert, but I can't because it's the early Saturday night kickoff. Villa get one of their only wins... uh, away from home to Manchester United uh, in Premier League history, winning 1-0. And I think we deserved it. And I think we deserved it. And um, basically, Man United get a penalty at the end. And if you don't think a keeper is great value, then you have not met uh, met Emmy Martinez. So you, you know all of this. But Emmy goes up. The penalty is awarded. 
90 odd minutes and we said that man you would get a penalty in extra time i think last week in the pod if i go back i, I said that they'd get a penalty but i was hoping that villa would be two nil up so if they get a penalty fernandez i think he scored 21 out of 22 at this point of penalties you, you you're a better statistician in football than i am yep so there's a bit of a kerfuffle going on and Emmy Martinez is pointing um, past Fernandez to Ronaldo saying, hey, are you going to take the penalty? You should be taking the penalty. Getting stuck right into Fernandez is pushing and shoving. He walks slowly back to the goal. Manchester United supporters threat Fernandez, giving him absolute hell. And um, Fernandez misses it by what, 10, 12 metres over the bar? Talking about, uh, you know, a Ruben Zedkovic smashing into Rose Zed. That's exactly what Bruno Fernandes did here. Uh, he could not have scuffed up that penalty anymore. And Emi Martinez, he's, he's done this before. He is tactically and psychologically so good as a goalkeeper. He's actually done this during the Copa America yes, where he, he actually wrote a letter of apology to his opponent player to say, I'm sorry for trying to throw you off. I thought it was just <laughs> gamesmanship. Like, this is this is Martinez at his absolute finest. And the thing is, you know, here he looks like the hero because it has worked. If it didn't come off and if United had scored, he can still claim the psychological edge of saying, hey, man, I tried to say this and this is what happened in return but I was trying to do my gamesmanship approach. And he walks away with his head held high going, hey, we've just come away with a one-all draw at Old Trafford. But oh. instead, it works. And, and, it and, works and the dance, so well. The dance afterwards will be forever in Aston Villa folklore. I'm not sure Absolutely. if you've seen all the memes on it, but he does a little jiggle in front of the, uh, the, the Manchester United supporters. So um, I'm stoked. I can see where Villa is going at the moment. And... Suck, uh, selling Jack Grealish, I said sacking, but selling Jack Grealish, I best for both parties, isn't it? Because Jack's playing really well at City and Villa's now got that basis for more and more players to come in and play different roles. Uh, Douglas Louise looks like the guy that we intended to, to um, you know, he, he's playing the role we intended for him. He's now getting a lot more of the ball and I just simply look a better team. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, no longer is it pass the ball to Jack Grealish. It's instead, you know, move it around and create something special. And we see this from across the park. For me, Matty Cash is arguably the best player in this Villa squad at the moment. Like as good as Ollie Watkins has been on the ball, as good as um, Danny Ings is creating his goal scoring opportunities, it's Matty Cash who is creating so very much on this right side, both in the defensive aspect, but also from the attacking aspect. He is brilliant. And look, we can't take away the set piece. Uh, Courtney House, who ends up scoring, um, he loses Edison Cavani, a guy that you <laughs> you can't get rid of. He gets away. And then because of the pace and the ball, he's able to score a brilliant header from the near post. So, you know, sensational performance all round from Villa. Everything that, would have gone right did for this. I time. actually I actually pointed that out as soon as I saw it. And I, I it's on my Twitter feed so anyone can go and have a look. But um, I noticed that he definitely shoved Cavani around a little bit beforehand. The referee comes in, talks to them. And Cavani seemed to have lost a tiniest bit of um, attention there, a little bit of... Uh, and, and anyway, I, I, I've spoken too much about Villa. I'm just extremely excited. 
<laughs> we beat Liverpool last year in a thrashing. We beat Man United this year, and uh, I can just see where we're going. Wester and Burnley, two all, and a really I, I enjoyed the game, um, and I, I, I just I kind of liked. I, I just like the pluck of Burnley. I thought they, they did really well there, and Leicester's still stuttering a bit. They are. Um, you know, Jamie Vardy opened the scoring with an own goal, and then he added <laughs> yes. his name to the score sheet a little bit later on. Um, twice, in fact, to be able to get those goals. But um, as you mentioned, a bit of a stutter for Leicester. They don't look, you know, they don't look as sharp as they have previously. The the way that Brendan Rodgers has them playing at the moment, they're, they're good but they're not as good as we kind of expect this Leicester yeah. side to be, yeah. which is a really odd approach because, you know, Yuli Tillemans uh, in the middle of the park, he's been tipped to be, you know, potentially heading off to the likes of Real Madrid or to Barcelona yeah. um, as, a, as a central midfielder option. Likewise, um, like Wilfred and Didi, he, he's meant to be so much stronger in the middle of the park than what he is, but it just doesn't look right. I think which is I think they're worried about their I think they're worried about their back line, mate. Um, they're with Arsenal the fifth worst uh, defence in the competition at the moment. So where in the past they were doing that kind of uh, Liverpool and Leeds, uh, sometimes Manchester United attack, attack, attack. I think they're now worried about being open up at the back as well, which wasn't something that happened with Leicester in the past. Um, so their their goal difference, uh, sorry, their goals at the moment i could be wrong there oh no they're minus three so yeah they are actually one of the worst there but that's not too bad for them that's uh, i suppose i might have overrated that one a bit um evident back on track against norwich and norwich unfortunately um there's no way back from them uh, there's no way back for them at all they minus 14 goal difference um they're in all sorts norwich is going back down again they are becoming the ultimate yo-yo team yeah, they are. Um, they're, they're the team that's, you know, too good for the championship, but not good enough for the Premier League. And they're, they're in that weird little position that we've seen teams in that position previously. You know, yep. Newcastle, for instance, even Villa not that long ago were in that position. Wolves were in that position not that long ago. They're that team who look good, but not there yet. And... It's it's tough times for Daniel Farker, um, head coach of Norwich, because yep. I think that this ended up being uh, his ninth or his tenth loss in a row as head coach of Norwich, and yep. pressure's constantly building on him because he's seen as being the hero of Norwich, but at the same time, he's not getting consistency that he should, and he's not putting out, you know, he's playing five at the back at times when... He's trying to stop teams from scoring. Great. But if you try and stop teams further up the park, you don't let them get where they can score. No. He's making some weird defensive choices and he's making personnel choices where, you know, I, I just wish that there was a bit more faith thrown behind the lights of Todd Cantwell and basically just told, mate, we know what you can do. Have a bit more freedom when you get the ball rather than getting the ball panicking and hoping that you can find Timu Puki. Well, another team, mate, that's um, bounced back nicely. West Ham beating Leeds at Allen Road. Always a big win when you win at Allen Road. So West Ham uh, really having a, a, another really good season. They're in seventh at the moment, but, you know, two points off second is how close it is after six games. And when, when 
I know it's a sixth of the way through the season almost. When do you start getting a tiny bit nervous as a lead supporter? Six games. Um, have they won any this year? Three draws, three losses. When do you start panicking a little bit as a lead supporter? I don't think that leads are in contention for relegation by any means. I think that the table kind of lies at this point. Um, it's yep. an interesting one because leads they've got the quality and they've got the they've got the right attitude, the right mindset to be able to rebuild this season. It might take another month of pain and stress, but you kind of think that once they get closer towards that Christmas break, that's their turning point. And then the second half of their season, that's when results start to go their way. So they're not going to be, you know, that super successful side that we saw last season, but they're not the type of team that we're going to see in the relegation zone. No, no, we're not, we're not going to see them in the relegation zone. I, I don't think either, but I mean, it's a highly disappointing start of the season. No wins after six games. Um, you've basically summed it up there that you don't think there's any real pressure on Bielsa or all leads. So you are the expert there, mate. Leeds um, love Bielsa, so he's, he's going nowhere at the moment. No, uh, I know. Unless, he, unless he decided to pick up and throw someone out the room, he, he's, he's a blessed human being across uh, Leeds. He's going nowhere. Unless he's offered titanium or, um, buckets elsewhere, who knows. What for the Newcastle? Entertaining one-all draw. Newcastle down, uh, still down the bottom of the ladder. And, and as you said uh, in an article today, someone is on people's radar. And I believe we've been speaking about that for a while anyway. Yeah, we have. But this game here, this was kind of, um, it had the right vibe to me. Like it was a League One playoff final type of a fixture. Yeah. Because it was yeah. end to end. It was relentless attack. There were so many opportunities to find, you know, for Newcastle to find a second, a third, yeah. a fourth goal. They had so many one-on-ones. Uh, you had Watford who managed to score a great set piece, a corner coming in, and Saar at the back post heading it in. Um, just this game had such energy about it at Vicarage Road. It was so much fun to actually watch. And yeah. from a Newcastle perspective... I would have felt like pulling the blanket over my eyes at times and just going, can I just hide here? Because it got it got too stressful at times and it got yeah. too it, it just got too worked up. You know, Alanson Maximum is meant to be the forward who's meant to be the guy who puts in the back of the net at every opportunity, but instead it seems like he's not being selfish enough when he gets those chances. You could see It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. The first goal he passes off to Longstaff when realistically he was actually in a better opportunity to score, but instead he's he's it's laying it a, off when he doesn't need to. Just it's such a funny mindset. It is such a funny mindset, though, isn't it? You, to if you're thinking too much, you're like, can I be the unselfish team man? And I know I definitely know what you're saying. What a game, Brentford Liverpool! What an absolute ripper that was. Uh, now the. The previous game had 30-odd shots um, and, and about 10 or 11 on target. This this game had pretty similar, 20-odd shots uh, and 10 on target as well. But Brentford looked like they might steal it at one stage. Um, and then, you know, Liverpool um, also did the same. And I just really enjoyed this game. And Brentford just 
I, I don't know if you can say enough about the effort they're putting in this season so far. You know, for a team that's come up through the divisions unheralded, um, two wins, three draws, one loss after six games, they're not getting relegated. No, they're not. And I am absolutely loving Brentford and their style of play under Thomas Frank. I am absolutely in awe of what they're creating, the energy that they're bringing at the moment. Now, this is, at the same time, giving me very much the same vibe as what we saw from Sheffield United a few years ago, where no one expected what they were going to do. They shocked everyone in their first year, and then the second year they fell apart. I hope that Brentford have put together enough of a plan to, uh, that they're in here for the long haul and that they have that opportunity to really grow. Now, the the guy who they absolutely have to hold on to with, their, with both hands and not let anyone near him is Ivan Tony. Uh, yeah. He is magnificent up top. They have produced so many good young players over the years, and I know my team's benefited uh, benefit from uh, picking up Brentford players. So I think their plan, they do have a really good youth. I know everyone talks about youth academies and being able to develop youth teams, but Brentford have proven it with players going on from all levels. Um, and absolutely, uh, Southampton Wolves, Raul Jimenez, or Jimenez, scoring after the life-threatening and, and you know, season, or not season, uh, career potentially injury, uh, ending injury, you couldn't have written that script any better. Yeah, it's, it, it's a magical story for uh, Jimenez. And we, we saw the fact that he had probably a slower start to the season. But uh, in, in terms of, you know, Wolves haven't had a great deal to celebrate. They haven't had much to cheer about by any means. But Jimenez scores his first goal on his return since November last year. So he's returning from this fractured skull. Everyone's looking at this headgear, wondering, is he going to be the same type of guy that we knew that he was last year and the year before and that we've seen him as, you know, this out-and-out relentless striker. And the thing is, that hasn't left him by any means. Like, physically, he might be slightly more hesitant to go into uh, a tackle or he might not go up for a, you know, a challenge when he previously might have. But when the ball's on the deck and he's able to try and create some uh, magic up top, he is sensational up top. And, and it's tough to find um, probably a better striker in the league, an out-and-out number nine who can do the work on a week-to-week basis it's fantastic. Um, Southampton, on the other hand, uh, oh, mate, I thought the they were unlucky. I thought they were unlucky. I thought they played their best football uh, of the season, and I, I actually really—it was just one of those games. The chances were there; they just did not take them. Unfortunately, they dominated possession. I thought their passing was fantastic. Um, they they really did attack well, but they just don't have any confidence on putting games away. None at all. None at all. And that gets pretty scary. Arsenal, the team we wrote off a few weeks ago, their third win in a row, absolutely dismantled. A seemingly disinterested Tottenham in, in their biggest derby. You know, Arsenal versus Tottenham is one of the ones from around the world that everyone tunes into. And I think it is a tale, and I'm sorry if I'm going to talk Villa again, but I have to. 
I think it is a tale of two teams who made decisions that could really affect their seasons. So we know Jack Grealish went to City and we know that everyone was after uh, Harry Kane. Harry Kane did not look at all good in this game. And in fact, he missed or he did a tackle that basically led to one of the goals. I don't know where Tottenham go from here. I'm not saying they're getting relegated. I'm not saying that, but they're not going anywhere this season. Well, for me, it starts pretty easily with what's on the whiteboard in the change room and what's the game plan. Because to be fair, it looked like they were making it up as they went for Tottenham. Uh, I like. I don't know what has happened between Nuno Espirito Santo leaving Wolves and him starting up a job at Tottenham, but it seems like he's lost all his coaching books, all his mindset, his ability to be able to really affect the game. He just looks like a guy who's there with his L plates in a way. And it's really sad to see because this is a guy who, you know, had taken a Wolves side to such great heights in previous seasons. And now he's got this great opportunity to work at Tottenham where he's got excellent players amongst his ranks. And it looks like he's clueless at times. Defensively, they're all over the shop. I don't think that there is actually a defensive um, a plan at all. That They don't know, are they playing a high line of attack? Are they sitting at a mid-block with a lower line of engagement? Are they sitting as a tight, narrow team to force teams to play around them? I don't know because Tottenham look lost. Yeah. But, and, I mean, we say that, um, and to their credit, um, three wins and three losses, it doesn't have them that far out of the top six, but they just don't look right. I mean, they can turn this around. Uh, they've got the players to be able to turn it around for sure, but it's something just looks really wrong there. And and as I was saying before, Villa sell Grealish. We look like a better team. Tottenham's held on to Kane. He is an absolute consummate professional and a great goal scorer, but he's either injured or he's extremely unhappy because he does not look like the same guy. Well, history tells us that the first month of the Premier League, Harry Kane struggles. This is the first month of the Premier League season. So this is where, you know, the next few games is going to dictate what is really going to happen for Tottenham and what is really going to happen for Harry Kane. If Kane does manage to get himself on the score sheet and really start to ramp things up over the next three or four games, then... I'll happily say Tottenham are turning things around. But if Harry Kane continues to struggle and month two of the Premier League is just as woeful as month one, then Tottenham fans, I'm really sorry, but you're in for one heck of a season. Well, the thing is, mate, and we'll come to the... I mean, Crystal Palace and Brighton, it wasn't a good game. Crystal Palace get a penalty right on half time. They put it away. Brighton, with the very last basically play of the match equalise. It was a pretty dour game to watch. Yeah, it was. Um, This is one of those weird derbies in world football between um, Palace and Brighton. It's a derby that, you know, geography makes no sense towards being as distant as they are. But, you know, Selhurst Park, this is uh, a Crystal Palace side who only a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking they look just as lost as Tottenham um, with... Patrick Vieira, suddenly they started to get um, their ducks in a row and Wolf Zaha looks a little bit better. They're starting to create a few more opportunities. And, uh, you know, up top you got Jordan Ayew and uh, uh, Osonda Edouard who starts to really create some more chances. But 
Brighton, you, you can't write off what uh, what Graham Potter has done with this squad and, and what he's creating with Brighton and Hove. Now, weird thing with Potter is he was actually tipped to get the Tottenham job before Nuno Santo right. was, but he said, no, I want to stay at Brighton. I feel like it's a better long-term project for me. And I'm sure that the Brighton players and the Brighton fans would appreciate that because he's brought up the guys like Yanil Morpes, who has become a great striker in the Premier League. He's given a fresh lease of life to the likes of Danny Welbeck and Adam Lallana, two guys who had previously played for the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool, respectively, and had kind of faded away into nothingness. But he's given them new opportunities to play good football again. So this Brighton side... They're doing fine, and they're more than happy to leave it to the 95th minute to be able to score goals. Well, we won't go through every game this round, but what a start. Both on 13 points. Man United, Everton, 9.30 on Saturday night. Can Man United bounce back after their Villa loss? Can Everton keep their recent form going? I fancy Everton will take it right up to United in this game. Um, I'm not sure what the result be. I'm going to, yeah, no, I'll go 2-1 Everton. I just think the pressure is going to mount on Man United. Interesting. I will say at uh, at Old Trafford, United's got this one sorted. Okay. Leeds United, Watford. The reason I bring this up is I know you said there's no pressure, but if Leeds can't get a result against Watford and Watford aren't playing bad football at all, that's seven games in without a win. I think the pressure starts to mount, mate. And knowing their supporter group who are very passionate, the voices will start to get quite loud. Leeds will get the better here against Watford. Watford, uh, unfortunately, I don't see them scoring in this game. So I feel like yeah. this is uh, the chance for Leeds to get the better here. Yeah. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, I think Leeds will win 2-0 there. Um, Tottenham, Villa. What an interesting game. If you had picked this game, this is the, if you picked this game a while back, I think you would have said Tottenham at home, easy win against Villa. This is going the Villa team is going to take it to Tottenham. And if it was at Villa Park, I'd say, ooh, Villa's a big chance here. But I think we're actually better playing away here because they're going to go into the game going, nothing to lose. And if they can get a result against Tottenham, Villa's on the up and Tottenham's in trouble. The only thing that counts against Villa in this game here is the fact that we've flipped the calendar over from September to October. <laughs> That's and that, true. That, that is literally the only reason why I'm considering that Spurs could upset and create something here. Otherwise, I am 100% Villa all the way in this game. But the fact that we've flipped over the calendars, that just puts that seed of doubt in my mind. Yeah, no, we'll totally understand that. Um, look, I'm going into the game... If I got a point out of this game, I'd be pretty darn happy. If we can get three, um, you know you're going to hear about it all week. Um, so if I take my Villa hat off, yeah, I'd still tip a draw there. I'm going to be honest. I just think that Tottenham are going to be very, very nervous. And if Villa get a lead early, it's it's going to be a bit scary there. I just want to go back and let you know, John did tip uh, Everton to beat Man United. Uh, he tipped his team to actually get a win, uh, Newcastle against Wolves. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And um, he's also tipped in an absolutely brilliant game, Liverpool City. Monday morning game, Liverpool taking on City. Wow. 
This is going to be everything. It is an infield. This is your team, mate. Tell us about it. This is, uh, you know, these are those types of games that can kind of set up whatever the rest of the season looks like at times. And at the moment, City and Liverpool are currently top of the table. Liverpool are currently the only team in the Premier League yet to lose a game. So they're actually equal in terms of our goal difference. The the recent form favours City, having had uh, three wins recently, whilst Liverpool's been a little bit more patchy, having three wins and two draws out of the last five. But I think that based on the momentum swing that we saw uh, yesterday morning between Liverpool and AC Milan uh, in the Champions League and then uh, recently with Liverpool and Porto earlier on today. I think that momentum is going to favour Liverpool here. So yep. uh, I've got to back my Reds. Well, mate, we've had a um, we've had uh, missed out on, on having John tonight. We normally would cover a bit of NFL, but we're at that point in, in the podcast where it feels like we've had the good sporting discussion. We'll talk a bit of NFL next week. Um, the only thing I do want to touch on there is that um, Kansas City looking a little bit shaky with the uh, Chargers beating him 30-24 to and Cleveland Browns um, 26-6 over a really disappointing Chicago where their quarterback was hammered and Buffalo beating Washington. So, Teams, we talk about early year, um, early in the season, but the NFL only has 17 rounds, so it's starting to it's starting to look quite nice for some teams. And LA Rams beating Tampa Bay as well, so it's starting to shape up. And over the next few weeks, we'll get a really good feel of where those teams are at. Um, Pete, before we go, mate, we haven't done any um, kick, kick or cuddles, um, so. Do we do one here? Hmm. Okay. You are a Sydney boy. So, Melbourne victory. Melbourne City. Western United. Keep kick or cuddle. Uh, farewell, Western United. Thanks for visiting. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And don't um, go to Lakeside Oval. Yep. Yeah, uh, hmm. <laughs> no, God, that's, that's a whole other podcast on its own. Um, I'll give a bit of a cuddle towards um, Melbourne City for the sole reason that uh, they're actually having a bit of fun. You know, their jerseys look pretty decent. They've got a good little setup in the club. They've got good community programs. They've got some good players and good coaches. You know, I don't, don't dislike City by any means. And, that 100% means that I'm keeping victory. And the reason why I'll keep victory is you're only as good as the people around you and you're only as good as, you know, the competition that you have to play against. So exactly to, have, right. to have a strong A-League means to have strong opposition, means to have a victory side who wants to try and dominate, means to have rivalries in games that mean something. 100%, so, mate, 100%. I, I am 100% behind uh, a keeping of uh, victory here. Well, Pete, love having you on the podcast as my co-host. Um, we have not had John tonight, who I'm so happy he's had a good time away, and I think we've mentioned him enough times that he almost feels like he's on the podcast. Any, uh, any final words out there, mate, for the uh, sporting world? Uh, look, let's just give... Uh... Give a bit of time and a bit of respect towards this A-League logo, mate. I would just say sit on it, wait on it, 
embrace it tomorrow morning, embrace it the next day and see if it still makes you feel the same thing. Change isn't always a bad thing. Hey, mate, I know change is not always a bad thing, <laughs> but you said uh, you said to sit on that symbol, and I don't mean to be rude. If that was on the front of a uh, porno cover, um, you probably could sit on it. Oh, dear. Right. Well, it's probably time for us to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun chatting some football with you guys and, um, you know, just finding out about what's going on in AFL, NRL. And to be fair, if anyone feels like they want to jump in and add to the discussion, make sure you check out the Love Sport podcast on Facebook with a little group there. At the moment, we've got over 100 members joining in the discussion. Feel free to join in because it is a heck of a lot of fun. Thank you very much for joining in and listening to today's show. We've been the Love Sport podcast. Catch you next time. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Love Sport Podcast. It was Paul and Pete tonight. John, as we said, exploring the wonders of North in Queensland. Won't give you his exact details, but you can get me at Paul underscore football. You can get John at Lambic Peach and Pete at Pete Novikowski. This was, and always will be, the Love Sport Podcast.